Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robert Tosi. Along with our amazing guests, as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. Well, welcome to the Artist Engineer with just your hosts, Tony and Bill. We are uh, going to explore a topic that is a theme that really almost kicked off our episode with our, our first guest quoting Steve Jobs with uh, his famous quote of real artistship. And that's what we've labeled this. And it's come up in other interviews as well about does art exist if you don't put it out there for someone to react to? And also, uh, what is the definition of creativity? And we got a great answer from one of our guests was the combination of imagination and productivity. So that we thought this would be really interesting. And we think a couple of those themes are, are pretty cool. And as well as the effect constraints have on your creativity, uh, the benefits, the pros and cons. And also, um, are you born an artist or an engineer? Can you become an artist or an engineer? So we're going to dive into various topics, but maybe I'll first ask Tony about the general theme here of when you know something is done, when are you ready to put it out there into the world, whether it's a creative project, a piece of code, a product, how do you know that? Thank you, Bill. So I think I'll start with just a, a bit of, for me, a, a bit of framework of thinking about this. Because when you say, when is something ready to ship? And we're talking about creative projects. And that can be, of course, art per um, uh, many of our, our guests. But as we've been saying, uh, from an engineering point of view, maybe writing computer code or otherwise, uh, we're also, I think, have been noting that that's also a very, very creative activity. Uh, computer code, especially, it's, it's, there's no, no physical physicality to it. It's just... The, uh, it's a concept that you're trying to make real versus uh, a kind of a typical project where you're building a car or whatever, and then you almost don't even ask that question. When is a car ready to ship? That's it's pretty self-evident. Uh, the question only comes up when you're talking about works of creativity. There's a couple of themes here that I'll touch on that we'll, I, we'll dive into details later. But for me, the bottom line answer is that a creative project is never really finished. And I'll, I'll give you some examples, but it doesn't mean that real artists can't ship and should ship. A creative project is never really finished. So you might uh, um, think of authors writing a book and they make it through several edits and several edits and several edits. Even movies have been re-edited or remastered, et cetera. For creative projects, um, there is really no definition of done. There's only definition of like good enough for, for you, for the, for the standard of the artist, or in this case, even the standard of the engineer. Um, for, for example, in computer code, uh, when I'm writing computer programs, I would say that none of us are ever really satisfied with that website or that code when we ship it. As I said, in your mind, when you, it starts, it's an ideal version of a business logic or solving a business problem until it gets polluted by actual user experience or business exceptions or, or business cases. And then uh, your kind of ideal algorithm or your ideal kind of logical flow is full of like exception cases and else statements and those type of things. You know, like this is a, if I can think about it better, I can think about the fundamental way to, uh, to really describe this. And I think from the uh, kind of artistic side, from my discussions with my musician friends and artists, um, it's a similar process and maybe even writing. Uh, in your mind, there's, you know there's an ideal 
perfect way to write that song or, or finish that chapter. Uh, and it's just uh, the, the act of getting it good enough to say like, uh, you know, what's the, what's the incremental improvement I can make on here? You know, uh, when you first start um, in your first draft, um, those are very, very ugly. And every time the second draft is a 20% better improvement, the third draft is, you know, 10% better. But over time, it's a, a set of diminishing returns. I would, I would posit that many artists probably never satisfied 100% with their, uh, their art when they, when they release it. So those are the things uh, you, you keep in mind. Um, you, know, you have to set your own internal bar, or if you're very lucky, actually, uh, maybe lucky or unlucky, um, there's an external, there's an external uh, factor that's making you ship and you're working towards that, uh, that deadline. Uh, Robert Lang told us um, uh, about his seven-year origami project, only finished because he had an external deadline. Uh, I think many of creative things are, are creative projects are like that. We brought a couple of things. I mean, you mentioned Robert Lang and, and when he told us that story about the, uh, the origami piece that he took seven years to build. When I first heard this about it, I thought it was because of complexity or something. Mm. And he said it was really probably because of procrastination that I guess he had the original idea, but then there was a lot of repetitive pieces to folding it that he had to do. So he kept putting it away and putting it back and putting it down and then returning to it and never really finishing it, which speaks a little bit to the, the constraint piece and procrastination maybe, which is interesting, which has a lot to do with when you ship something. So that's, you know, is there an external factor that's going to make you ship it, um, a contract or even uh, for an artist or a gallery show or mm-hmm. something like that? And then I think there's an internal piece, as you said, a bar. Bar is kind of an interesting one because I think there's an element of maybe some level psychology. And I think Sunil Garg on one of our episodes asked about that. And he said, you know, what is it psychologically that makes a very talented artist or someone not share their artwork with the world, mm. you know, to, to work on a painting or something or music and never actually put it out and never finish the piece. And, and that's a different thing, right? That's maybe something around rejection or judgment. It's, it's not particularly because they're lazy, right? It, which is, I think sometimes in a society, well, you procrastinate, you're lazy, but it probably is, goes a little deeper than that. Yes. So in terms of procrastination, and we mentioned deadlines, do you feel that there's a, the difference between creativity and productivity, productivity, we're talking about deadlines and shipping and creativity is fed by this maybe procrastination because you're doing something more than just building a widget. Yes, I do. I think there's a big difference. Productivity is very measurable. You can quantify productivity in many ways where creativity is much harder to quantify. Somebody might think something, one thing is creative and somebody else looks at it and says, oh, it's not so creative. I could have done that, right? And this brings us to another one of our guests that I think I mentioned in the opening, uh, Ron Diorio gave us a great equation, I like to call it, when we asked him, what is creativity? And he said it was the combination of imagination plus productivity equals creativity. You know, the idea, as you said, would even software code or for him, it was photography or whatever. But if you don't produce, you, you don't if you're unable to produce something, you're not creating it. It's just still an idea or, or some inspiration in your head. So I think there is kind of a difference, but I don't think those are the two. I think they kind of work together a little bit or it's a subset of it. 
we've seen some artists who are quite productive and some folks who are who are quite creative and productive and get that balance right and others who maybe need other constraints or or collaborators or project managers or whatever to help that creative imaginative mind get their ideas into uh, real form for me from my engineering background i think that those systems uh, those structures that you have in place are pretty vital for creativity. Like we already, I think everybody agrees that systems for productivity are pretty uh, work well. You know, we know productivity systems like time management systems, et cetera, but we often don't talk about as much systems for creativity because we're talking about real artistship, not just like having a hobby and learning to play guitar or something. We might have a, a deadline at work. Or we might have our own personal deadline. We have, a, have to write a book or, or release an album or something like that. And what can we put in place? What systems can we put in place to move us in the direction of productivity, or sorry, of creativity? Um, and I think there's several. There's several of them, uh, actually. It's um, creating, um, I think uh, Adam Grant said, he says mastery instead of productivity. Mastery is from uh, deliberate practice. Creativity comes from deliberate play. Uh, what does that mean? It's, it's setting aside time. In this case, maybe uh, what we call procrastination. Set aside time give the space for creativity. Like where, where, I think we'll get to this later. I've been saving this question. Where do ideas come from? Mm. Uh, and that's a, that's a really philosophical question, but, but a more practical answer is that you know, you're not gonna have any ideas if you fill up all your time with tasks, meetings, and uh, checking off a to-do list. Um, I think creativity really benefits from, uh, we call it procrastination here, but space and uh, structures dedicated for creativity. Or even I would say space and time, That's uh, allows your brain to make connections. Uh, I often tell the story of debugging code. Uh, I always say like, you can't predict how long it's gonna take to fix a bug. It can take an hour, it can take three days. It's just, it's like a process of discovery. Um, and I'm writing code is also a process of discovery. Um, so that's why I link it to creativity. Um, I'll often, I'll tell the story, I'll often will be trying to figure out a bug and doing testing all day, all night. And then I'll, I'll just say, well, let's, let's, you know, we'll knock off for the day and I'll go to sleep. and. And I wake up in the morning and I woke up and I said, I know the answer to that without having like the continuity analysis or anything like that. I just know the answer in during my sleep. Uh, my, uh, my brain has made all those connections in, in many ways. Creativity needs that time, needs that time. It's not, uh, not productivity, uh, where it's just mm -hmm. almost efficiency. I spoke a lot about for me, um, creativity from a individual's perspective, kind of going to sleep and, and those type of things. Do you think creativity benefits from being alone? Creativity comes from a mind, a single mind, or benefits by working with other people. Before I answer that, I, your your mention of space and you know the psychological space to rest and just mm. put away something, whether it's trying to solve a problem. Ultimately, that's it's like that's almost a constraint too, right? Having to solve a problem, whether it's even a problem in your life, you you look for creative solutions, and that's creating. If you just spend all your time focused on it, saying, I'm going to solve this, I'm going to solve it, you're probably not going to solve it, right? It, it kind of comes to you in other ways. And then the question of where do ideas come from? Where do, uh, where does creativity flourish? I think it's different for different people. And for me personally, I'm someone who, who really likes to collaborate and, and talk out loud and bounce things back and forth. And I think some of my best ideas come from a dialogue like that where I can kind of riff on an idea and then improve it or go off on a tangent and then come back. 
but probably there's a bunch of thinking that goes on in the background during the day when I'm washing dishes or something like that, right? So uh, it's probably a little bit of both, but it's probably a little more intentional when I'm when I'm sitting with multiple people and 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 going through something as compared to uh, sitting down and saying, okay, I going to inspire myself to create something or I'm going to inspire myself to be creative. So, so it's a little more organic, but I, I think collaboration for me is kind of a key piece as com- and it probably comes from maybe being a little more extroverted, getting energy from people and, and also new, being able to react to new ideas and new, new thoughts and situations that make me question something. How about yourself? What do you feel most creative? I think what you said is very true about it. It depends on how you think, how you uh, uh, kind of process your personality type. I often say that um, I'm really bad at thinking and talking at the same time. I think and then I talk. But of course, I know many people think through talking as kind of as you described to like structure the thought in their brain. Uh, and that's uh, that might be on the more extroverted spectrum. So it completely depends for me from uh, just a to counterpoint what you said and kind of give a different perspective from maybe the other 50% of our, our population. Actually, it's an interesting question. Maybe you know from your, uh, from your Berkman studies, is introverts and extroverts 50-50 in our population or, or more like 60, 40 or something like that? Like that? Don't require that they do have, uh, they do have a sure statistic yeah. on it because they've been doing it for 50 years, yeah. but I don't recall what it is, yeah. but it's probably pretty close. Yeah. So, so imagine it's a 50-50 for, for the 50% to, um, are similar to me can't think and talk at the same time. Uh, I'll, I'll mention some things I do that to counterpoint some of the things you do. So various techniques for, for, uh, for creativity. I often do a lot of journaling, but um, journaling in different ways. So we kind of know the typical journaling, kind of a daily journal, et cetera. And there's different prompts that you might do as a personal journaling, which I'll talk about in a second or at work. We don't typically call it journaling, uh, but it's like whiteboarding, you know, it's thinking um, through, uh, through problems like visually, um, like on a whiteboard. And that, um, that process is for me is very interesting. It's, uh, um, I think if I describe it, I hope it'll resonate with a lot of people who, who kind of create, do creativity. It's, um, and the whiteboard is great for this because it's, uh, you start with a draft, you know, just putting words and boxes and lines, and then slowly you're trying to, you're starting to see the pattern of it. Uh, I think I mentioned in writing computer code, you want, you kind of want the fundamental like logic or the algorithm but you don't know what that is. It's, it's a process, again, of discovery. You're, you're writing things on the board. You're trying to see how they connect. Or for me, I often tell my team, visually, your whiteboard, your architecture diagram has to make sense visually. Like it has to uh, be aligned or different uh, areas or functions need to be grouped together. If lines start to cross or things just don't look balanced, uh, my, my caution is, is there might be something wrong with that architecture or something that might be uh, optimized. So it's a process of kind of refinement and discovery until it gets to this point of when is a creative project finished or something like that happens. I look at the drawing, uh, let's call it journaling, but it's a whiteboarding for architecture. I say, this, this feels right. This makes sense. Everything's lined up right. All the things that are similar are in the right place. It solves a problem, quote unquote, elegantly, as we often like to say. What is that feeling? Uh, I'll say that that feeling, that intuition, um, is another part of our brain. It's the right part of your brain. It's not the analytical part of your brain, but it's the part of your brain that's taking a lot of all your experience, doing pattern matching and saying, this, this is about right. That's kind of that feeling of elegance. Working alone, 
there are ways for me to kind of produce creativity. Uh, I, th I think I'll actually just stop with that example of whiteboarding because uh, ours is journaling. I do come from a personal point of view, but it's a very similar process. It's almost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. finding an idea or, or a thought day by day until it starts to make sense to me. And of course, then this is where uh, we take, uh, we can take those ideas um, and flip it to kind of the other 50% of the population and start to get feedback on that, you know, combine it with somebody else's ideas, you know, as a group. Um, but if you're uh, an introverted thinker, that's a, that's a process you might be familiar with. And uh, I think a very creative process. You had mentioned where the ideas come from. And, and so these are kind of what we described a little bit might be the ideas are already formed. It's already, uh, you know, you might be trying to solve a problem or move through it or in, in your example, not something from a blank whiteboard, but maybe you are, you know, maybe you're just like walking into a room, the blank whiteboard and I have to come up with a new idea. I'm going to write a new novel. What should I, what should it be about? Or I'm going to create a new painting or a new piece of origami or uh, whatever. You even mentioned something about cars not being something that, should, well, the first car was. Somebody had to come yes, up with that yes, idea, yes. but <laughs> we just need faster horses. So that's that uh, piece of the equation, imagination, right? You know, the, the mind is an amazing thing. And basically it creates your life around you. Um, you're imagining all the time and projecting what you think your your world is, and that's why we live in in the world we live in at this point, for better or worse. We've imagined certain things from the the very beginning, and and someone has been productive enough to create them, and them being everything that's part of our world, I guess. Where did those ideas come from? Mm -hmm. if, you know, sitting under a tree and an apple drops down and hits you on the head. And yeah, <laughs> Eureka. Yeah, Eureka. <laughs> when was that Eureka moment? And and uh, how do how do you come about that? This, I guess, inspiration. Things can inspire you, and that's so once again maybe a reaction, but it comes up with a new idea. Sometimes that can be for me the people that I'm interacting with. It can be a a new experience that can inspire new ideas. And, and I think that's a uh, kind of a recommended um, intention, opening yourself up to new experiences. And it doesn't have to be, you know, dangerous or jumping out of planes or but it could be, but things that maybe take you outside of your, your realm, your comfort zone, your habits. Um, so that was one Thing I had read recently. How about you? What what do you think ideas come from? I think there's a very philosophical discussion we can have here, but uh, I'll mention it, but shy away from it because I don't have any of those philosophical answers. Do I, these ideas already exist, and we're just we're just vessels, uh, you know, mathematical truths? For example, did we discover them, or did we create, you know, them through kind of uh, analysis and study, or you know, do we have free will? Do all the ideas that pop into our head, did did we create them? You know, do we control that process or is our mind just kind of a little bit more uh, mechanistic? Mm -hmm. Interests me, but uh, definitely not, uh, not practical for anybody except philosophers. But let me be more practical. <laughs> for me, this is, is in the framework of uh, kind of a, a, a progression of mastery. Um, so what do you do when you're a beginner at something to, to be creative and what do you do when you're a master? Um, and then uh, I'll say mastery kind of. Uh, ends up at this, uh, what they call the unconscious competence uh, mode of thinking. 
you know how to do something. Like if you, I'll keep using my, my examples of, um, of computer programming, uh, given a problem, uh, an architect or a master might say, I, I know the, the right solution for that. Um, I can't tell you how I got there, but uh, I, just, I just know you have to trust me on this. Uh, they can't even explain it, it's unconscious. And at that level, it is a lot of experience and pattern matching. I've, I've, I've come to realize it's the experience that they had over 10, 20 years, and then matching patterns from what they've seen to what, they, what, they're, uh, what they're facing now. And I think that a lot of masters in different areas um, are like that, uh, where they're seeing a new problem um, and they can kind of intuit a solution. They can't explain how they got that there, but a lot of it is pattern matching. But earlier, earlier in your career, you don't have that experience, that, uh, that ability to do pattern matching. Uh, if you try to, you'll fail. Oftentimes, we, we try to give those advanced techniques, techniques to beginners uh, and, and expect them uh, to, uh, to use them. And uh, I find it's, it's uh, very difficult um, that they don't have the experience to actually use those patterns very well or try to do the pattern matching. So earlier, also uh, uh, earlier in career, or if you have less experience in a certain area, um, I suggest the technique um, of, uh, and this is again in the, in the kind of the, the, uh, the sequence of beginner, beginner to mastery of uh, stealing and copying and sampling. <laughs> uh, I, I know there's a quote, maybe you know, uh, something about flattery and, and plagiarism, uh, but- um, There's even a better quote, Pablo Picasso says, uh, good artists copy, great artists exactly, steal. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and there might be, finally back to our question, there might be no new ideas in the world. I mean, there's only revisions of existing ideas or existing concepts. And we've talked about this before, editing and revising and revising. Uh, maybe our, all of our innovation is just kind of incremental advancement. Also, there's a theory, I think it was in a book called Guns, Germs, and Steel, where um, if you look at history, quite often kind of radical ideas like the printed press or the car or the airplane are solved by multiple people around the same time. And it's not because mm -hmm. like, why does that happen? Again, like where, where does that idea come from all of a sudden? It's because everything in the environment is ready for that idea. You know, like they had enough technical innovation in different areas for that idea to come, come out. Like nobody could have had that idea a hundred years before then. So, so again, for me, uh, when I look at this, I, I hope there actually, uh, there's actually less mystery than we think there is around creativity because of always things like you're just sampling, re uh, making revisions, connecting different domain ideas. I hope it's that way because it gives me a kind of hopefulness that um, like we can learn how to be creative. Well, uh, a couple of interesting things in there. The one thing you said was uh, maybe made me think about the other, other no new ideas or they only come about a certain time. And, and then it, 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 that time is ripe. I love that equation, uh, the imagination, productivity, creativity. Some of these things maybe can be imagined at a certain point, which I think, uh, you know, you know there, uh, Da Vinci had some of his drawings, I think, were like machines that were flying or something, right? And, and so he was kind of imagining certain things that the technology wasn't there. So you couldn't produce something, which means you couldn't create it. But the imagination, the idea was kind of there, but the timing wasn't right. And uh, so that is kind of an interesting one. In terms of how it actually comes into creation and the way we know it materially as compared to just an idea. So that, that path. And then the other thing at the end, which you were talking about, which was um, 
Can you be taught to be creative? Can you be taught to be imaginative? Uh, can you be taught to be productive? <laughs> Any of those things? We, we, we probably all have had our, our time at all of those. And, and this goes maybe back to conversations you and I have had almost that was the idea for the show a little bit. Um, the, the nature versus nurture artist versus engineer or artist and engineer, or you're born an artist or you're born an engineer. Are they that different? Are they the same? What does all that mean? So general idea is a way where you fall on this side of the line. I, and I think we still bat it back and forth over the net a little bit, but you know, can you learn to be an artist? In the truest sense, you know, an imaginative, creative person, maybe not someone who learns a craft, as Sunil would say, is that art or is that craft? What do you think? I think that we can all learn the craft. Uh, again, that's that's kind of my optimistic, hopeful view of uh, kind of the, the capacity of, of our human brains. Um, I think we can all learn the craft. And for example, we'll be much more creative than we think we can be or be much more um, uh, from the engineering side, maybe analytical or structured than we think we are. Just by learning some simple techniques, I think we all have that, that capability. Uh, but you said that might be the only craft, you know, get you a long way. But I do think uh, maybe this goes back to Berkman and personality profiles and uh, nature versus nurture. Uh, we all have things that when we experience them for the first time, it is that eureka moment. We say uh, our brains, our souls say, oh, this makes sense to me. Computer programming, for example, or playing a guitar. Somebody experiences it for, for the first time and they say, this, this fits me. That's nature. You know, I, I don't know how or why. I, I can't explain that. I believe that's the case as well. Like we're all not 100% malleable, nurture. We can do anything we want. Uh, we all have uh, strengths and our brains are tuned to certain vibrations to be a little mystical. Um, there. If you uh, were to focus your attention on something, I would say, you know, my advice, look for those moments where you're like, uh, this fits something inside of me. Uh, and that's where you, you'll get your, I think your most kind of fulfilling uh, time spent, you know, you, you'll feel fine. That's a joy to a computer program, which many people would look quizzically at me to say that, but for <laughs> people who, who are, who that fits, it's a joy. It really is. And of course, people don't even question that uh, when they say a joy to play piano or uh, other type of things. That's 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 uh, completely accepted. As many things we say here, the artist engineer, uh, we all, all uh, often have two sides of a coin here. There's, there's always two answers. What, what's your experience here in terms of? I think that, you know, and it's funny, you, you, which we've talked about, we mentioned Berkman. Berkman is a personality assessment that I use in my coaching practice and you and I, uh, compared our own results, uh, you uh, kind enough to, to to take it for me, and uh, came up with a very high engineering level, and I come up with a much uh, higher kind of artistic level in terms of basically our interests, which I think is what you were speaking to. And we said at some point we would share it on an episode and, and talk about an episode, and uh, maybe we'll throw it out on social media somewhere. So I think you're right, though. That's kind of what, a little bit what you're saying, that, that thing that you feel attracted to or motivated to. So I think you're kind of born with some of that wiring, um, either that's an engineering term or, or inspiration or whatever, or spirit. 
in you to be drawn to certain things, um, whether it's artistic aesthetics, uh, logic, or problem solving. So I think that is some element of you born to that. And then I think what happens is there's a, a lot of nurturing and, and societal elements that impact um, where you, you kind of lead with that and what you even know, what options even exist for you. You know, can I be a, a, an artist or a creative or, or uh, whatever? I think I was actually just reading Jerry Garcia, the uh, Grateful Dead's founder and lead singer. I was reading a, a Wikipedia or something on him. And he mentions in third grade, some art teacher um, who was encouraging his artistic pursuits of his painting and this and that. And he liked doing a lot of different things. And he said, that was the point that I realized that being a creative person could be a possibility for me in my life. You know, and <laughs> basically spent his whole time being pretty creative. So uh, probably that and drugs, um, <laughs> but um, so, uh, so, but, but your surroundings kind of um, amplify those directions and, and, and give you those, open those possibilities up. And then like you say, the, all the other, it doesn't mean you're just one or the other. You can learn crafts. We know plenty of creatives who are excellent programmers, engineers, as we, and that's what we're exploring. We know uh, uh, plenty of uh, engineers and people on a very technical path who are you know, wonderful artists. So, uh, so that's where that, that kind of blending, uh, but maybe how you identify is a little more born into you um, and how you feel on the inside mm. is a little more uh, uh, hardwired as compared to programmed. Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, you, you mentioned, you know, Jerry Garcia, but um, our, uh, one of our other guests, Sabrina Thompson, uh, said something similar in the opposite direction. She said, uh, until I got exposed to engineering, she didn't even know what that was. I didn't realize that was even a thing that was available, that existed, or I could do. And she ended up, ended up being very good at it. Uh, so both of those things, um, uh, if anything, uh, we talked about kind of getting more experiences. Um, that's really uh, an advocate uh, for that. Get as, try to, if possible, uh, get as much exposure to different things as possible. And uh, one of those, I'm sure, will be uh, your muse. Yes, yes. Well, excellent, excellent. Well, this has been a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great. I think that last thing was a great piece to close on. So thank you, everyone. And we'll uh, see you next time. Thank you, everybody. We name dropped a few of our past guests, not to mention Leonardo da Vinci and Jerry Garcia. So if you enjoy this episode, you might also be interested in listening to the following episodes. John Moore interview. Indie Rockstar to IT Rockstar, October 2020. Ron DiOrio interview, Imagination plus Productivity equals Creativity, November 2020. Sunil Garg talks with us about science, art, law, and the cosmos, December 2020. Sabrina Thompson interview, NASA engineer, artist, author, and baller, March 2021 and our most recent interview with Robert J. Lang, origami master and physicist, June 2021. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. 
We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoy the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people. And also hit the subscribe button.